So last week, um, we're not necessarily in a, a sermon series, but we are leveraging the momentum of this new year. St. Benedict um, says this, that always we begin again. And every single year at the beginning of the new year, I always want to put that before our congregation, always we begin again, that Jesus might be at work in our lives, that the ways in which we might feel um, a, a gentle nudge or maybe a strong urge to make some shifts or some adjustments, to let go of some of our old narratives from the year behind us or the months behind us or the days behind us or the weeks behind us and to look toward um, this way that God can write better stories for us, that everything old has passed away, that all things can become new. And granted, uh, all things can become new on um, the 12th day of February, but there is something special about the momentum of the new year that causes us to begin to interrogate, are there some things that we want to see changed? Are there some ways that we want to live differently? Are there some things that we want to do differently in our lives? And last week, um, we, we anchored ourselves in Isaiah chapter 43 uh, in this passage of uh, scripture that says, do not remember the former things or consider the things of old. Uh, can you not see that I am doing a new thing, that God is doing a new thing in our lives? And I felt like it was also appropriate for us, not just personally, but also collectively, to begin to ask ourselves those same questions about what does it look like for the Southeast Raleigh table to lean into those words that always we can begin again. What are some old narratives as a church community that we can leave behind? What are some practices that maybe they, they served us a year ago or they served us two years ago, but God is calling us to continue to stretch our holy imagination that we might be the community, the collective people, a family, a church um, that is not holding on just to old stories, but that we also believe that because of the spirit that we can be so aware of, that there might be something new that God wants to do in us. Back in November, we had what was called an all-in family meal. We had a wonderful facilitator from Durham who helped ask some really beautiful questions of our communities. What would we want to be in place at our Southeast Raleigh table in two years because of our generosity? And let me just tell you, for those of you who were um, in the room uh, that day, we did some pretty hard work. There were about 65 individuals from our Southeast Raleigh table who, who gathered and they talked about what are some of the challenges and what are some of the opportunities in our community. And it wasn't just us talking all nice things like, oh, we want to like hold hands and sing Kumbaya. But like, well, I mean, we talked about like literally having to um, look face to face and be really honest about some of the obstacles that we have in particular because of um, our church community. And there were three things that came out in that conversation that as we stand at the beginning of a new year, I feel like it's important for us to say, okay, Lord, in that conversation and as I have watched our life together over the past year, what are the former things that we need to no longer hold on to? What are the things that are old that no longer serve us? And what is the new thing that God is doing? So this morning, um, this is going to be the way in which we set our intentions as a church community by talking about these three things that I believe as your pastoral leader that God might be calling us to lean into in 2020. I want you to hear this passage of scripture from Mark chapter one, beginning with um, the 14th verse, and this is what the scripture says. 
Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Will you pray with me? God, I thank you for the ways in which you speak to us in this place. I thank you for the ways in which you speak with us in this place. That we all become living, breathing sermons as we engage in listening and hearing your word read and also proclaimed. So God, would you keep us open and would you keep us aware? Would you keep us sensitive? Would you make us like fertile ground that your word might land upon our hearts and be made known in our lives that we might live out these words beautifully? God, I pray that you would take my words, whatever I believe that I need to say, that you would make them your word. And that God, not one of your words would fall to the ground, but that you would hold them in the palm of your hands, that these words might have life. So God, in the proclaiming and in the hearing and in the living, might we be blessed. We pray all of this in the strong name of your son, Jesus Christ, and all God's people said, amen. I'm going to read this passage of scripture again from Mark chapter 1. Uh, verses 14 through 15. And it says this. Now, after John was arrested, and John was Jesus's uh, cousin, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Now, um, many of you might be familiar with this scripture. I have to just um, offer this confession is that oftentimes in my life, whenever I heard this passage of, of scripture, it was with someone who was normally standing on a street corner, screaming on the top of their lungs, making a whole lot of noise, typically with a lot of poster boards and maybe even a little bit of a megaphone. And I used to, um, when I would hear people screaming this passage of scripture on the top of their lungs with a megaphone and lots of uh, poster board, I would oftentimes say to myself, you know, a better marketing strategy would be maybe if you brought down your voice a couple of notches and didn't seem so, how can I say this, hostile. <laughs> Just a little more invitational in the way in which you say, uh, you know, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the good news. And the reason why I wish some people would change up their marketing strategy is because these are some of the most promising and beautiful words in scripture. And it makes me very sad that oftentimes the way in which the message is conveyed causes us to turn, um, turn down the volume on our, on our hearing, that we begin to kind of drown out the message underneath the message underneath the message underneath the message. So um, in Mark's gospel, Mark doesn't have a birth narrative for Jesus. There are no angels, there are no shepherds, there's no coming to Mary or to Joseph. Instead, Jesus just pops up on the scene after his cousin John has been arrested, and he finds himself in the wilderness with lots of individuals who are really interested in what Jesus has to say. And Jesus begins um, to talk about this good news. It says that Jesus is in the wilderness proclaiming the good news. Basically speaking to people who had felt like they had been far off from God, that there is now hope, that they can be encouraged, that their lives can be changed, that those who are perishing, that those who feel like literally they are, they are in a tomb existence, that Jesus comes saying, listen, I am coming to proclaim this news that you can have life and life to the overflow, not just news that is good, but news that is great that will change your life 
forever. Then Jesus uses this image saying, uh, believe the good news, the kingdom of God is near. Or some translations would say, the kingdom of God is at hand. Let me break this down for you. I'm going to use a, um, I'm going to use a demonstration. So I can touch Crystal, because she's within arm's reach. When Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand, that all that God is, that all that God is for, that look, it is like now right in front of your face. You can actually touch it. The kingdom of God is at hand. So Jesus is like, I am the good news, and you can touch the good news. That this life that is greater than you could ever imagine or have ever hoped for, this life that is now wrapped up in the Messiah, Ta-da, this life is actually available. You can touch, you can access this new reality. And then Jesus says two other things. It's an invitation and also a challenge. Then Jesus says, because you can touch the kingdom, you can touch a new reality of what life can look like. Repent, which comes from the Greek metanoia, which means to have a changed mind. Like, you know what? Don't just hold on to the old story. Repent. Uh, You can have a changed mind about how good this life can be. And when you have a changed mind and a changed heart, how can you actually turn in the direction of that changed mind and that changed heart? By believing the good news. And believing in scripture comes from this Greek word pistis. See, you can tell your coworkers all of this when you go to work tomorrow. Pistis. Pistis is not ruminating like, hmm, I believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe... Pistis means literally, I want to live in a way that I, that I, uh, around my belief. So if I believe that God is good, then I have to decide how am I going to be good. If I believe that God is merciful, then I believe that I can also, I'm going to show acts of mercy. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Come on now, change mind, change heart. Believe. I'm going to move in the direction of good news. I actually believe that I can access and live out good news in my life. Because good news is standing in front of me saying, touch it. You can access this new life. And here I'm about to make a sweeping statement. I believe that the church, literally like who we are as a gathered community, the people who are called by God and then sent out and scattered by God, I believe that the church is basically um, the dress rehearsal for showing the world what it looks like to be the kingdom. That we actually trust that Jesus who is standing in front of us who says you can access this life, that our life together helps us to do kingdomy things. It's our dress rehearsal. We're like, okay, Lord, you told us that this new reality is, is, is available for us. And so when we come to this place, we may not make a lot of sense to people beyond this space. Sometimes I'll use the term the empire or the world. But we choose to say we want to be people who are about kingdom. So we come to a communion table and we reorient ourselves around how we eat with one another about who gets invited and who's on the guest list and who gets to be the gracious host, because we're about kingdom. When we come to the baptismal font, 
Uh, we reorient ourselves, uh, understanding that we don't necessarily have to jump through some hoops, but that we have a God who is the hound of heaven, who comes to us and offers us this grace that we did not ask for, but that God wants to give. And that we also, because of this baptismal vow, we have a new identity that is not about me being a southerner or whatever script the empire might place upon my body, but that I actually know what it is to die in Christ and to live in Christ. Because we say, oh, our identity is in some water. and maybe not legislation. We pass the peace with each other. On Sundays with people, we do not know their stories, their ups, their downs. How they vote or how they didn't vote. But we pass the peace, we literally hug people and we say, Christ, peace be to you. When our neighbors in McDougal Terrace are wondering, is their city at peace with them? When we watch the news and we wonder, as we have just come out of the Advent season saying that we believe in the peaceable kingdom, that our swords will be turned into plowshares, and wondering about war with Iran. But we come and we pass the peace with each other. Christ's peace be to you. We don't affirm pretend culture in the church. This is not a highlight reel. As someone said yesterday, where we just smile ourselves to look like we are something. But instead, we actually come into this place and we confess our sins. We say where we're not right with God and where we're not right with each other. Just wait to see an Amazon review where people confess where they've not been great. Or someone say on Instagram, oops, I've, I really need to just, I need to offer... Um, an apology. We do kingdomy things. We rest because we did not breathe uh, the breath of life into God, but God breathed the breath of life into us. And so even though this world might say, you need to work, 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 to earn your rest, we say, oh no, we will not become our own pharaohs, taskmasters to ourselves, but instead we will rest in the arms of a loving God who frees us to know that God is good and God is the one who breathed into us these gifts. You don't just come into this place to play nice. You come into this place because you believe the kingdom, you can, you can touch it. That when you're in the uh, uh, Target, or here's Teeter, Jack Seafood, wherever you are, and because you're living a kingdomy life, then all of a sudden people will say, oh, king, I, I can touch it. I can touch it. But you know what's really interesting about this kingdom living? It's not easy. Oh! It is not easy. Maybe that's why people scream it, you know, because they're just like, it's not going to be easy. Repent. <laughs> Veins popping. It's going to be hard. <laughs> A struggle. Um, it's not easy. You know why? These words that Jesus whispers to his disciples before he knows that he is going to come to the end of his life. Jesus says that if you're going to follow me, you have to take up the things that are really difficult. You have to deny yourself. <laughs> it is so easy 
to do it the way the empire or the world would do it. And Jesus would say, but just reach out your hand. You can, you can touch it. The way the world will, would set things up, they would tell us the lie that this is the very best it could ever get. Kingdom says, it's good. It's better. So here's the first thing that I want to talk about as people who need to be kingdom, and maybe where God is calling us into a new thing. You know, um, one of our, our, our guiding principles here at the Southeast Raleigh table is that race is always on the table. Um, not too long ago, actually right after I got um, back from sabbatical, I did um, an interview with a with a podcast here in our local area. And the woman who was um, interviewing me, she went on and on and on and on about, oh, the diversity of our Southeast Raleigh table. Oh, the diversity of our Southeast Raleigh table. And, and I really do want to celebrate the diversity in, um, in, our, in our church. Um, however, I kind of bristled because she, um, she framed it as in like, and that's what makes it all great. All right, Nick's preaching with me. It's one of the great compliments we, we receive about our, I mean, on Instagram, folks, our united colors of Benetton. People love to see us on Easter looking good together, you know, melanin popping, peach popping, it's popping, popping, popping. And it's a gift because diversity reflects the expansiveness of God. It's a gift because diversity reminds us that God is a creating and a recreating God. It's a gift to know that God um, is able to, to see God's self through multiple um, individuals and lots of expressions. It's a gift because diversity actually moves us to this understanding of scripture of the all nations. Who doesn't want to be the hashtag all nations? And we get to dip our toe in that here at our Southeast Raleigh table. Diversity also offers up a complicated, beautiful gift of awareness. Because when you are in the presence of another person, it automatically causes you to have to interrogate some things. Like a joke that you might have said one place you start to wonder, but can I say it? Right there. Or your way of being in a place, when I'm with people who all look like me, all of a sudden I begin to wonder how do people perceive. Diversity makes us aware. It can be uncomfortable, but it's a beautiful uh, uncomfortability, discomfort. Uh, you know what I'm talking about. That we on a Sunday, as Martin Luther King Jr. would say, that we're trying to disrupt the most segregated hour in America. Don't take it lightly. Don't take it lightly. But diversity is not a means to an end. And diversity is not enough. Remember that plantations were also diverse? <laughs> we can be in the same room and the same room not be just. We can have lots of people with lots of different experiences and all of those experiences may not necessarily be held in the same way. We can be together and some people can feel viewed and others can feel seen or some people can feel invisible and some people cannot feel seen. 
Diversity is beautiful. Gosh, I don't want you to ever say that I didn't say that it is beautiful, but it is not enough. Though it might create a level of awareness, which I think over the past couple of years has created a level of awareness, here's number one where I think God is moving us to be an anti-racist church. Which, behooves a different level of consciousness and also action. It's about saying that when we are in the same place with each other, that this isn't just the best it can ever get, but how we make this place just and equitable, how people can feel like they can be their full selves, don't have to put themselves on edit or scratch or tweak or add a caveat. This is the other thing, um, and, and I'm gonna just invite you just to, um, to, to take a deep breath. When you become anti-racist, you begin to interrogate everything. How we're organized, what our systems look like, who's in power, how we distribute power, how we understand one another, how we hold each other's stories, who sometimes has to defer, who has, sometimes has to lean in. Because what we're deciding to do is that the way in which the empire has been set up, we're saying that's not, that's not the story that God has written for us in this place. Now, this is the thing about, um, about worship, because I want to talk about what it might look like um, for us to have to dismantle racism and worship, which, guess what, we're all in worship. So this is not about shaming, this is about us being honest. It has not been a long time, friends, and, I, and I'm going to use the dichotomy of black and white, okay? And, and, and you can talk to me a little bit later as to how we understand how other racial um, identities um, move in a fluid way, but typically within the American context, we kind of understand the bookends to be black and white. So go to REI, they'll flesh it out for you as to why I'm gonna do it that way. It has not been a long time that we have actually worshiped in same spaces together. Oftentimes, whenever black and white, or there is a diverse space in regards to racially within the American context, people were together, there were three things that often were, uh, were at play. Either the space was performative, meaning I watch you do something, typically majority culture watching. Secondly, it was transactional. You're doing some, we're in the same space because you're doing something for me. So you might come, sing a song in the midst of worship for Black History Month, and then, you know, we'll see you again next February. You know? I mean, friends, we're just being honest, right? Let's just shake it off. We're being honest. The, the third is that oftentimes, um, sometimes the spaces assumed some level of assimilation. That people are, people of color, typically are going to move in the direction of that standard. And this is the reason why. I know we, don't, we may not think about this uh, when we think about racism, but uh, racism even seeps its way in the ways in which uh, our consciousness around worship. There is this idea that certain forms of worship are more socially appropriate. And that other forms of worship are the other to kind of like be like, so it's like, you know, people would always say to me, oh, I love the way you worship, like the way you worship. Like, and I'm like, oh, I'm not in a museum for you to press your hand up against the glass and, and to watch me offer up praise. And the thing is, whether we like it or not, or whether we knew it or not, wherever we grew up in church, if we didn't grow up in church, we were being habituated to think one was the, was the otherized or the exoticized, and the other was a standard. 
And no one had to say to you, like, this is the standard, like, sing the Gloria Patri, glory be. No, no one had to say that's the standard. But there's this, this sense that anything other than is different. So I just want to um, remember this is not shame, this is honesty. I want you to understand that for um, persons of color who are in our community, that church oftentimes was the one place that you didn't feel like you had to perform or there was a transaction or that you even had to move in the direction of majority culture. Here's the gift you get, is that you, also, you believe, like literally by you just being here, you actually believe we should not otherize. I, I, I mean, I, I don't want you to take that away from yourselves if you are majority culture. You, you, have, you have actually, when you come into this place, you, you kind of know that you opt in not to, other, not, like not to otherize. Because we don't move in a particular, we move in a direction that would make space for those who are black or persons black or persons of color. But I want you just to imagine what it might feel like if, um, if in a space, most of our musicians, for instance, were black. I'm just gonna, yeah. And that, um, that most of the individuals who are worshiping that Sunday might be white or not black. And, and if the room feels like either transactional or performative. Now that doesn't mean, please, hear me, italicize bold, underline. That doesn't mean we, there's a one-size-fit-all in regards to how you need to worship. Oh my gosh, Lord, please actually don't mimic. Like, don't, don't, don't do that. You need to do the thing that God is calling you to do. But it does beg us to ask ourselves, what is my posture in worship? And how might someone actually begin to like, perceive or feel the way in which I'm taking up space in, um, in our worship? So we need to be interrogating all of these things, which may mean that there are going to be some, maybe some Sundays when I, when I say what it looks like to make space for each other, I'm going to have to be really honest about what that looks like. So that when folks come into this place and we say, oh gosh, we want, we want, every, we want to be the most diverse church, you know, that um, we are actually living in such a way that that makes that possible, that people feel like, okay, I can. I don't have to edit or mute myself when I come in this space. All right, the last two are easier. Ooh. Can I also say this? I have never served a church community where I felt like we could trust each other enough to have these conversations, to preach with each other in this way. So when I die, Hopefully not anytime soon because I need to get to my 43rd birthday. But, wh but when I die, I I'm going to remember this moment. Like, God, everything that I never believed in seminary could actually come true with the church community. <laughs> Last two things so that you can get to the buffets on time. Um, <laughs> because we need to interrogate how we um, gather and what we do and... Um, to ask ourselves, is it just about us simply being diverse or are we actually dismantling the ways in which the world might want to organize us? We're going to think differently and expand our, um, the way we gather with our community groups. For the last five years, um, our main medium uh, of doing community was through our missional communities, which have been absolutely beautiful. Where's my dear friend, Ashley Griffith? 
Yes, so Ashley has been in many ways the guru, the mother of, um, of our community groups. And we have, I think, as we have grown, we have asked missional communities to hold like everything. Bring down the patriarchy, dismantle racism, be safe space persons of colors. How can we also help those who want to be more conscious, become more conscious? It's like, this is just too much. We want to come, we want to eat a sandwich, we want to laugh with each other, we want to be celebrate, we want to serve. We've asked missional community to hold too much, and in some ways, that actually makes missional communities not be able to function the way that they need to function. So listening to the still small voice of the Lord is that, okay, maybe God is calling us to create other groups, which means that there might be some times when um, we might gather just folks who are persons of color. And there are times I'm going to say something and you're going to be like, I can't believe she said it. There might be times when I'm going to be like, it is actually really good that those who are majority culture or who identifies white, that they gather together. I know people are like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are we allowed to say that out loud? Tell them your black pastor said, it's okay sometimes. <laughs> to get, because sometimes you are able to be more honest with one another. You're not worried about, am I going to say something to offend anybody? Am I going to trip over them? You need to be together where you can be like, listen, I don't know what is going on. Or this is what I'm struggling with. It's okay. Hashtag black pastor said. Um, <laughs> So in 2020, we will have a men's group. And we will probably bring together some of the seminarians who are in our community. And we'll think about um, how we can have Bible studies, because not everyone wants to come in on one level. They want to come in on another level, that we might meet all of the needs. There, there's a difference between saying all are welcome or planning with all in mind. And I think we were just trying to like, and it's like, no, 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 we need to, if we're going to say all are welcome, we actually have to be invitational, meaning, meaning I got to think about like how we can all flourish. The last thing, the last thing is that um, we are so beloved by our, um, by our Raleigh community for, the, for our acts of service. But I want to read this passage of scripture from Micah chapter 6 that says this. He has shown you, or mortal, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you? To act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with our God. We have to also be people who are about justice. And justice and service aren't necessarily always the same things. Justice sometimes um, belies looking at the thing underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing, underneath the thing that keeps a person from being able to have a backpack when they go to school. So we need to do the both and. Have backpacks, love teachers, show up, and say, why is it that there are a disproportionate amount of people who are not able to have backpacks? So in, this, in 2020, we're also going to align ourselves with other communities that might help us to be about the work of justice because the work of justice is not something that we can do on our own. We are better together. It's not easy. But let it be said of us that we believe that when Jesus said that the kingdom of God is near, it's as near as 1950 Newburn Avenue. And that we would say the kingdom of God being drawing near to us, that it was worth the work 
and the emotional neighbor and making some mistakes and having to ask for forgiveness and having to confess and having to pivot and having to make ourselves um, take up less space or having to be able to offer up more space. Let it be said of us that it was okay for us to be stretched in community to the place of growing, but we were never going to stretch one another to the place of breaking. That the ways in which we are transformed is not to shame one another, but that we trust each other to be honest with each other, that we believe we can do this thing. Let it be said of us that when people peer through the windows of this space, and the empire sees us doing kingdomy things, that the empire might say, hmm, maybe this isn't the best that it could ever be. Will you pray with me? Lord, I'm so thankful for your church. I'm so thankful for the Southeast Raleigh table. I'm so grateful for the ways in which we just held space for each other. I'm so grateful for the ways in which we love each other. I'm so grateful for the ways in which we are willing even when it seems a little bit difficult to do things differently for the sake of each other. That when you call us to follow you, that God, some of us are going to have to take up some things that might be a little uncomfortable, that we might have to deny ourselves in a world that would tell us that we don't ever have to do that so that we can follow you and be reflective of your kingdom. God, all I know is that we cannot do this work but by you. And I know that we cannot be the people that you have called us to be but by you. So we simply ask because we know that you always keep and hold up your end of the bargain, that we would be receptive to whatever it is you are up to in this place, in this space. That God, we might see what it is that you want to do in us and also through us. So that the kingdom might draw near and that we would reach out and touch it, and by touching, oh God, we might choose to lead kingdomy lives. We pray this, Lord, in the strong name of your Son, Jesus Christ. Amen.